Since then, you have been raised with Christ. Set your hearts on things above, where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things above, not on earthly things. For you died, and your life is now hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. Blessed are these words. Please be seated. Good stuff. Thank you, Faye. We're going to move this. Do a little bit of housekeeping here. Well, lots going on here this morning. That's good. We got to make sure that we, uh, we talk to Nancy afterwards and wish her all the best and uh, hugs and hugs and hugs, prayers. Um, this morning, as Faye just read, we are in Colossians again, as I think the last Colossians sermon was December 28th, so we're back in that wonderful little book in the New Testament. We'll have some, some of it on the screen. We'll give uh, Ed some time to get that up there, but welcome everybody. I titled the sermon, Mastering the Mind and Living Differently, and I realized I don't think we can master the mind in 25 or 30 minutes, so we're going to have uh, next Sunday with Freddie as well, so I'll uh, be preaching this week and next week, so we look forward to that, and let me just grab uh, a drink of water here as we, as we get started here, put the phone on, uh, on vibrate. Hello, hello, everybody. All right. So, mastering the mind and living differently from Colossians 3, 1 to 4. We'll start off with verses 1 and 2, and let's see where we get after we unpack that. The big idea today is knowing what we believe determines how we think, act, and live. Now, how many of you have heard of the placebo effect? Placebo, placebo medicine. Yes, okay, good. The placebo effect, for those of you that don't know, it has to do with thinking that you're getting medication or medicine, but it's actually fake. You're not actually getting medicine. And you go through a different websites, get different numbers, but the, the statistics are pretty staggering. It's like from 18% to 80% that the placebo effect actually works. It depends on a lot of variations, your age, uh, your personality, your sex, things like that. And it's not just in your head. It can become very physical. And now this placebo effect, people who thought they were getting medicine had warts disappear, ulcers were healed. They even had some cases where there was people that their hair started to grow back who thought they were on Rogaine, but they really were on a placebo. And for me, that's pretty good news. But... <laughs> It goes to show you the power of the mind, right? The, the brain is a fascinating organ. And some new studies have shown that there is a dark side to the placebo effect. They call it the nocebo effect. And it goes like this. Uh, the same mind that can heal can also harm some patients. Some patients, are, they experience negative symptoms to the medication they're taking just at the mere suggestion of the side effects. So you have people who are getting headaches and nausea just at the suggestion of the side effect, even though 
they didn't even take any medicine. They're vomiting and getting headaches. Now, this one really blew my mind because my mom, she was doing chemo for a while, so I was into the cancer research and stuff, and they did a placebo experiment where instead of giving chemo to the cancer patient, they gave saline. And in these cases, the people lost their hair, started vomiting, and had side effects as though they were taking chemo. But they were giving saline. So the point is, the mind is a very powerful, powerful organ. And some of them are starting to wonder now, how much do patients really need to know uh, about prescription warning labels? It's almost like self-fulfilling prophecy in some cases. Um, the last one there is, my mom was diagnosed two and a half years ago. This September will be three years. And she didn't want to know the diagnosis. And now I'm starting to see that was a good idea. Because, you know, the doctor could say, you only have six months to live. And your mind starts playing that out. But no, my mom said, you can keep that, that news to yourself. I'm going to keep fighting. And so here we are, two and a half years later, mom's still fighting cancer. And yet the first diagnosis I know was at about six to eight months. So the mind is powerful. And that's where we're going to get into today because our beliefs can often define our reality, both for the good and for the bad. So when, you, when people believe they're getting better, quite often they do start to get better. And when people are convinced that their problems are bad, things often start to get worse and they play out that way. Now, for a little while, a few years, maybe longer than I've been a Christian, I've been following Jesus for about 12 years. So coming into Christianity and Christian circles is this push for positive thinking. And I'm not going to fall into that group of people who come up here and going to preach the Bible, preach the gospel, talk about Jesus, and end up talking about the power of positive thinking. Now, I could mention several churches, famous preachers, authors who are writing on this topic, but that's not me. And most of what I've observed or learned from this type of teaching is that the power of positive thinking is that it's really no more than saying that if you say the right things and have positive thoughts and visualize these things, they'll happen. If you want that new house, you visualize that new house, and you can get it. And if you just got to really believe with all your heart and focus on it, then you can do it. At the same time, if you visualize that empty bank account being filled up, it can happen. Just think positively. And I don't know about you, but that way of thinking, it's kind of like Christian fairy tale thinking to me. So um, I think it's based on greed more than anything else. Me, 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 I, 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 want, want, want. That's not the way it's supposed to be. Here's an example. You don't see a lot of the power of positive thinking to get people to go serve on a mission somewhere in India or, or Africa. You don't see any po positive, the power of positive thinking to get people to go serve and volunteer downtown in different ministries because people don't benefit from that. It's all about me, myself, and I. Lots of greed. So, now here's the big but. And I cannot lie. My brothers, you cannot deny when it comes to thinking positively about what God has clearly spelled out in Scripture, then you can think positively. So I'm not saying that it's bad to tell people to think positively. I think it can be a good thing. It's better than having a bunch of people walking around like zombies all the time, dark, depressed, and being negative about everything. So, but there is a problem if you're teaching people to think positively and to affirm what is not true and what is a lie according to God's Word. So, 
We're going back to the book of Colossians today, and we're going to see the Apostle Paul make this bridge between the first two chapters in this letter and the last two chapters. The first two chapters dealt with correct belief and proper theology, and now the last two chapters, three and four, will talk about correct action and behavior. And then in the middle, though, there's this little transition piece, these four verses that we're going to look at today, or (laughs) first two verses, maybe. We'll see. But... It all comes back to what we believe is going to define how we act. And if we don't get the belief part right, then the behavior part will never change. If you want deep character change, I mean, I'm talking to the whole of who you are, gut life change, then I'm not talking just little things, change, what do they call that, behavior modification, but I mean to the character, the whole of who you are, It has to be based on the truth of God's Word, because that's the only thing that we can truly count on, especially when it comes to transformation of someone's life. It's the Word of God. So I invite you to open up your Bibles. For those of you who brought your Bibles, good job. Open up to the book of Colossians chapter 3, or it should be on the screen behind me, verses 1 to 4, and um, that's where we're going to spend most of our time here this morning. So, ready or not... Here we go. Verse 1. The big idea today, knowing what we believe determines how we think and act and live. So I want to read those first two verses again from the New American Standard Bible. I know Ken uses uh, the English Standard Version a lot. It's a very literal Bible translation, just like the NASB. And so it says this. Therefore, you have been raised up with Christ. Keep seeking the things above where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Set your mind on the things above, not on the things of the earth. Now, threaded throughout this morning's message and next week too is this idea that biblical beliefs pave the way to Christian maturity. That's from uh, Colossians' commentary from Paul Godhart, but it's the truth. And we need to embrace that because it will change the way we live and act each and every day. What we believe about the Bible and its teachings is going to determine how we live, right? It's going to be the reason why we act the way we do, the decisions that we make. Biblical beliefs pave the way for Christian maturity. Now, as we begin today looking at the text, we're going to see this one connecting word that I've pointed out a time or two before, and it shows up all through the epistles. What's an epistle, Alpha? Letter. That's right. We went through that. The letter, the Gospels, the Old Testament, you see this word, therefore, therefore, therefore. And I've taught this before. Somebody taught me as a, as a new young Christian, when you see this word, you got to ask yourself, what is this piece of Scripture there for? Why did God put it there? What comes before it? What comes after it? Why is it here? What is it there for? And it means... The information that you're about to get into is based on the information that you just got out of. It's a big word. It brings all that you've just learned and it puts it on the table with what is about to be served next. That is a little uh, kitchen and restaurant cooking analogy there. I must be spending too much time watching those kitchen shows with Gordon Ramsay. Which is a good segue for guess what happened Friday night. We had a spaghetti supper at the church. That's right. The student ministry program has started the spaghetti supper ministry where they volunteer their time to make spaghetti, led by Debbie, Jerry, Joanne. We got this new chef named Isaiah in Montanez. He's working out there. Some students hand out flyers in the neighborhood. We're working on a sign. And we want 
you guys to invite your friends or neighbors and join us on the first Friday of every month, downstairs, 6 o'clock, supper, salad, garlic toast, Rice Krispie Spurs for dessert, and bring a friend. Friday night, we met a few people from the neighborhood, which was good. We met a girl who's going to come to some of the student ministry programs, so we're starting to take off. How's that for a commercial in the middle of a sermon? Hey, all right. So, what did we just learn in the book of Colossians at the end of chapter 2, my last sermon there? We learned from chapter 2, verses 16 to 23, that there were four different paths that were about growing in Christ, growing as a Christian, but three of those paths were the wrong one because it was based on what you do for God, but the final path, which was the right path, was the one that's based on what God does through you. Now, these three false paths were deceptions from the enemy. We spent most of our time talking about the one main false path, and that was legalism, and we ran out of time. So, let me just take a couple minutes. We'll recap the end of that last message. For those of you who were not here to hear it, uh, you can go online, thornhillbaptistchurch.com. All of the past messages are online. But here's what I want us to get. If you got the book of Colossians open, chapter 2, verse 19, that was the big idea, to grow as a Christian. And those uh, three false paths were the legalism one, which said that growing as a Christian, growth comes through Jesus plus following all these different religious rules. And that was from 2, verses 16 and 17. The second false path was from verse 218, and it was called mysticism. And all that said was that growth comes through Jesus plus deeper personal religious experiences. And then the third false path was called asceticism, falsely teaching that growth comes through Jesus plus intense self-denial. Don't do this, don't do that, don't do that. If you want to grow as a Christian, you need Jesus. You need the Word of God. If you start adding anything to that, you're already in the wrong spot. So the true path, the right path, was from verse Chapter 2, verse 19, and its idea was one of what the Scripture calls abiding, abiding in Christ. Growth comes from holding hard, tight, fast, and forever to Jesus, who is the head of the family of God, who is the author, the finisher of your faith, and if you lose connection with the head, if you lose connection with Jesus, you're done for. You're lost. Sounds a lot like the Gospel of John. Chapter 15, some of your favorite scriptures come from that, that section. And Jesus says, uh, you can check it, it's probably eight, nine, ten times he says, abide, 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 abide. Gospel of John, chapter 15, abide, abide, abide in me. And if Jesus is teaching it, then you can bet Paul's going to reiterate it to his, his uh, listeners as well. So, Abiding is the only way growth in Christ can happen. You grow as a disciple, growing as a Christian doesn't happen if you don't abide in Jesus. And how does that happen? You'll hear me say this, Pastor Ken, over and over again. You got to open up the Word of God. You got to be in the Scripture. You cannot know Jesus if you don't read your Bible. Plain and simple. So here we are now. This word, therefore, therefore. Based upon what you just read. What did we just read? What did we just learn? We learned that we need to abide in Jesus to grow as a Christian. All right, so we can rock and roll now. Therefore, he's about to give us new information. Therefore, if you have been raised up in Christ. This is the second time he's brought up this idea of being raised up in Christ. The first time was in chapter 2, verse 12. And he said, 
where having been buried with him in baptism, which you were also raised up with him through faith. And when we were studying there, we learned that this is what we refer to in theology as an identification truth. The Bible teaches that when a person goes into a personal relationship with Jesus, there's an identity change that takes place. There, it's no longer your life, it's now Jesus' life. He lives his life in and through you. He changes who you are. He changes your way of thinking. He changes how we live. He changes our position before a holy and righteous God. So the bottom line is, it's a pretty big change that takes place when Jesus comes into your life. Now, I met a few new people here this morning, Rachel, Katrina, and I, I don't know all of you where you are in your faith journey, but if this is confusing for you, look at it this way. I'll give you an example from marriage. Whenever you're at a wedding, most weddings, uh, between a husband and a wife, let me give you a picture of what this looks like. There's a type of identity change that takes place, usually mostly for the woman. What happens is her name changes, right? I mean, her name is now found in connection with her husband. So when I married Debbie Yakel, Debbie Yakel, she became Debbie Monowich, right? So in a way, now Debbie is found in me, her husband. And I can even remember the day when Pastor Ken told everybody to rise, and now I would like to welcome for the first time Mr. and Mrs. Freddie and Debbie Monowich. And everyone rose, and, and then the music came on, Shrek. Then I saw her face. Now I'm a believer. I couldn't leave her if I tried. And we walked down the aisle, and then Donkey came on. I believe, I believe, I believe, I believe, I believe, I believe, I believe. And I kissed Debbie, and we're going down the aisle and starting our new life as Mr. and Mrs. Freddie and Debbie Monowich. And that's how we walked out of the church. So, so her identity is now found in context with myself, her husband. Now, many of you know the Bible teaches this as well, that the relationship between a husband and a wife mirrors or reflects the relationship between Jesus and the family of God and the church. We learn that from the book of Ephesians. He says that we are the bride of Christ, right? Jesus is the bridegroom. Now, whenever you or I enter into a relationship with Jesus, there's this identity change that takes place. Our life is now found in him. We are identified with his story. We're identified with his righteousness. We are now identified with the things of him, his plans, his purpose, his life, and essentially, Jesus becomes our life. And that's what chapter 2, uh, that's what we find in chapter 2 when it says, when he died, you died. When he was buried, you were buried. When he was raised, you were raised. Because we are now identified with him. When God the Father now sees us, he looks at me. He doesn't see Freddie Munowich. He sees Freddie Munowich in Christ. See? Jesus is now my identity. And so naturally, when our identity changes, we find out that there's these new truths that we got to learn about. And what we're going to find out later on as we go through this section is Paul's going to set up this new identity in Christ and then teach us how to develop this new way of thinking. As I said before, the first two chapters in Colossians, chapter 1 and 2, is about correct belief. Theology needs to be in order first. And then chapter 3 and 4 is correct action, behavior. And we'll get into that. So, in other words, correct Christian behavior starts with mastering your mind. 
You got to do that first. And in this portion of scripture that we're looking at here today, he transitions these two pieces together. Now, how do you think differently or how do you start developing or mastering your mind to think properly? Let's see what the Bible has to say here. The Apostle Paul says, if you have been raised up with Christ, okay, Christians have been raised up with Christ. Now, the phrase raised up means that we were resurrected together. Now, remember, these things are called identification truths, right? It's, a, it's an accomplished fact. It's, it's finished. It's settled. It's done. It all took place at salvation. And if you want to study more of that, you can look at... Uh, Galatians 2.20, Romans 6, 3 and 4. These are a couple of famous passages that talk about the life change in Jesus. But let us keep going. Next part, keep seeking the things above. This is a big one. Now, the commentaries will teach you that this word seeking, in the Greek, it's in the present tense. So it means keep on seeking, keep seeking, don't stop, it's ongoing, it keeps going, never stopping. We don't seek the things above one time or occasionally, but we keep on seeking, we continually look to Jesus. And as Christians, more importantly as disciples of Christ, we need to know that part of what it means to seek is to desire as well as to have knowledge to understand. So there is a desire to seek the things above. Our desire should be to be consumed by Jesus, his life, his character, his purpose, his plan, his power for the things that you're facing. Now, I've shared this with many of you before, especially some of our students, that when I became a follower of Jesus, a lot of my desires changed. Not because I was changing them, but because God was changing them in me through the power of the Holy Spirit. When I was a born-again Christian, this transformation started to play, take place. I became a different guy. And part of this, an example, has to do with Christian music. See, I didn't have a great understanding of Christian music. I'd only heard bits and pieces growing up in my family. And what I did here, I'm sorry to say, was a little bit corny for me, a little goofy, a little bizarre. I mean, Obviously, hopefully you can admit that some of the lyrics to some of the music we sing could be hard to understand for a new person to the faith. I mean, seriously, when I walked through these doors listening to some of these songs, it was a little frightening. There was a lot of singing about the blood, singing about the blood and, and about dying, death, and on the cross, and that was throwing me off. But once you get to know the Christian faith, you understand that theology death, the blood of Jesus, it all makes sense, but not when you're a first-timer. So there was also this kind of weird feeling of hearing some of these music, these songs in Christianity, kind of love songs, like prom songs between a guy and a girl in high school prom, but it was between Jesus and me. And I know some of you can relate. The music throws you off when you first become a Christian. So for me, Compared to what I was used to listening to before I was a born-again Christian, it was hard to cross over, make the connection with Christian music, especially Christian rock music, because it was really bad. I'm sorry. Christian rock music was really bad. It was cheesy at the beginning for me. And I wanted to go back and listen to some ACDC, some Zeppelin, Kid Rock, Eminem, anything like that was fine. But the, the music I was used to listening to as a non-believer, I mean, my first initial experiences with Christian music was so bad, man, I was even craving, craving some Nickelback. That's how bad I was looking for music. 
I had a rough start, but God changed my heart. And the Holy Spirit was working on me and transforming me, my heart and my mind and my life. And then there was this new desire for worship. I began to connect with music and understand the lyrics. And I could worship God through the music. And then God gave me a good gift. Some of my new favorites like Casting Crowns and Fresh I.E. and Mercy Me, Shane and Shane. I started to connect with some good Christian bands. And now it's the opposite. I look back, and even if, you know, some of those musicians, Zeppelin, they're really good, but some of the music and some of the messages I was listening to were really dumb. And if you look at the lyrics to some of today's musicians, even to some of what I was listening to 12 years ago, ACDC, Eminem, Nickelback, there might be a song or two that's decent, maybe, but for the most part, the messages that they're singing, they're good for nothing. And I think, why did I ever think they were so fantastic? But it's because there was this desire for change. Another one was going to church. I never wanted to go to church before, so why now? I had a lot of mixed feelings about church and the way they did things. And, but when I became a Christian, born again in Jesus, I started following him, and my desires changed. I started going to church because I needed to. I wanted to. Man, I wanted to go to church so bad, I'd go twice on Sunday. I'd come to Thornhill in the morning, go to Center Street Church at night. And that wasn't enough, so I'd go Tuesday at Center Street Church, and then Wednesday here. And I just kept going, because I wanted to be, I had a desire to be with God and God's people, and to, to learn, to serve, and to grow. And what the Apostle Paul says here is, you have to have a desire for the things above. And there should be something inside of you that wants to know more, craves more. You want to understand more. Keep seeking the things above. And some people might call this um, developing a biblical worldview. That's what they would say at Bible college. Others might call it having the mind of Christ or, you know, being in tune and sensitive to God's Holy Spirit activity around the world. Paul just calls it seeking the things above. And now, let's bring this a little closer to home. If you want to master your mind, let me tell you exactly what I mean. I want us to be thinking so clearly that in our minds, we're able to have victory over sin. In our minds, I want us to be able to take every thought captive. In our minds, I want us to be able to see God's hand at work in even the smallest parts of your life. I want us to master our minds so that we're free from these constant buildups of worry, anxiety, and depression. And Paul is teaching us right now at the beginning of chapter 3, he starts giving us practical ways to live out this Christian life. Get your mind in the right place. If you want to master your mind, it starts with seeking the things above. Be consumed by Jesus, his character, his purpose, his plan, his power. If we don't seek the things above, we're never going to understand the things above. And if we don't understand the things above what do we have to apply to our lives down here? We're never going to change. So it begins by keeping our mind where we're positioned. Where are we positioned? In Jesus Christ. Christ is in heaven. Where in heaven exactly? Well, what does the text say? What does the Bible say here? He's at the right hand of God, our Father. Hey, now think about this. This this was some good studying here last week. I learned some stuff. Now, the description he gives is that Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Now, this is a metaphor for those of you that don't know. The right hand of God, this is a place of supreme privilege and divine authority. The place at the right hand is where a leader, a president, a prime minister, uh, somebody important, 
governing official, royalty, celebrity, somebody who was at the position of the right hand was set aside for people who were considered worthy, people of respect and authority and honor. And what we find here is where Jesus is seated at the right hand of the Father. But watch this. This is pretty good. According to Scripture, according to the Bible, it says that you and I are in Christ. We are positioned in Christ. Therefore, if He is seated at the right hand of the Father, positionally, therefore, you and me, we are seated at the right hand of the Father in heaven. So that's the reason he's saying, keep your mind on things up here, because that's your reality. That's where it begins with you and I, up there, and then it lives out down here. You see, my friends, that's the reason that I can stand tall on earth and, and be a force for good and change and truth, because I'm seated up there with Christ. Does that make sense? I'm, we're in Jesus Christ, who is right now seated at the right hand of the Lord God Almighty, how we stand as Christians depends on where we sit in Christ. It's the way that we can stand in the face of opposition. It's the way that we can become overcomers. The way that Jesus can take over the mind. The way that we can walk in truth. It's because of where we sit. You and I are in Christ. Christ is at the right hand of the Father. It's set, it's positioned, it's secure. You don't need to worry. Jesus ain't going nowhere. Not like Daniel Smith and nine other uh, Wild Rose MLAs that just get up out of their seat, walk over here, become Tories. You don't have to worry about that. Jesus is at the right hand of God the Father. He ain't going nowhere, all right? You are secure, he says. Keep your mind there because that's where you're seated. Now, in order to master the mind and live differently, we're to keep seeking the things above, but here's the second part. Keep setting your mind on things above, not things on earth. Now, again, this word set, you look in the commentaries, you can Google this, it's in the present tense. So again, it refers to continuous action, ongoing activity. We're to keep setting our mind on things above. Verse one, it said, keep seeking the things above. Verse two says, keep thinking or keep setting your mind on things above. So, both verses are directing our focus. Both verses are directing our thinking. Both verses are saying, this is mentally where your mind ought to be. So, we're not only to seek heaven, but we're also to think heaven. So, the second part of verse number two says that we're not supposed to focus our minds on the things of the earth. Now, I want to do a little explaining just to make sure that we're on the same page. Earthly things are not all evil. Some of them can be, some of them are not. Even harmless things, if they take up space in our minds that's supposed to be set aside for heavenly things, that could be a problem in your spiritual walk. Earthly things can refer to anything from money, honor, power, pleasure, position. Those things aren't all bad, but it can also refer to sin, trials, problems, daily concerns. If you're so consumed with... the uh, preoccupied with temporal pursuits, the things that are here and now right in front of you, then whether they're harmful or harmless, it, it doesn't lead to a mind that can think freely and live differently. Now, obviously, we all have duties, responsibilities. There's families, there's jobs, there's things that we have to do. The passage is not saying we just lay on the couch all day and dream of heaven while everything around us falls apart. 
But that's not the reality. But what we do find is that when our mind is set on heavenly things, it directs how we operate on earthly things. And an example is with the family. You know, when you have your mind set on heavenly things, understanding truth, uh, God's plan, God's desire, all of that, when it's set on what God says, we now understand that, that there's instruction. There's a description of how he wants a marriage to run and, and the roles he wants us to play and how he wants to keep things together. Even money, for example, you find out from a biblical perspective, uh, we're not owners, but we're stewards. That's the way God wants us to deal with resources. So the point I'm trying to make is that the daily things are shaped by heavenly things. Does that make sense? Yeah, it goes back to this big idea this morning for knowing what we believe determines how we think, act, and live. Whenever our mind is set on things above, in the right way, we find that we don't just charge out and try to tackle problems ourselves, and, but rather when problems come up, our first response is not, oh, what do I do, God? No, our first response becomes, God, how do you want to live through me in this situation? Because our mind is focused on things above. And if our mind is focused on things above, then there's so many times that, you know, when problems come, we just sort of kick them around for a while. We don't deal with them right away. And we try to work them out in our own strength a little bit. We try to be disciplined. You know, we, we, we might go for a walk, talk to our friends a little bit. Hey, we might read a book written by a PhD because he might have some insight on the topic. But you share it with a couple people and then you get to the point, you know what, this problem is more intense than it's ever been. I'm about to crash and burn and collapse under the weight of it. And then the thought comes, hey, what does God have to say on the subject? Because you see, that's what many of us do. We wait till the last moment, you know, and just so we can check off the God part, throw up one of those, those general prayers, hey God, would you bless this situation? Amen. Yeah, I prayed. So you come to talk to me or talk to Pastor Ken or talk to a counselor, be coming to you and go, hey, have you brought it to God? Oh yeah, Ken, I took it to God. Freddie, I took it to God. I, I did the prayer, yeah. You know, and as pastors, we might need to be more clear, right? Describe to us how you took it to him exactly. Did you take it to him in prayer? Did you take it to him regularly? When you were sitting there driving down the road, were you talking to God about it at that time? Are you going into the Bible, digging into God's word, finding out what he has to say on that topic? Are you bringing together friends and family and small group, life group, prayer group, Bible study, some type of godly counsel? To help you, not to, for you to hear what you want to hear, but for them to be honest, to speak the truth to you, even if it does hurt, are you pursuing God the same way you're pursuing everything else in life? Correct behavior flows out of correct belief. Right action comes out of the right way of thinking. So there we have it. What have we learned here this morning? Friends, you have to believe the right thing. Stay focused on the right thing, and especially if you want to live the right thing. So we're going to close with that uh, next week. If, uh, if you're here next week, we're going to look at Colossians 3 to 4, and uh, we'll unpack that. But for now, we're going to close in a word of prayer and uh, with a song as well. So let me pray and invite up who's leading the hymn. All right, let's pray, and then we're going to sing a song, and we'll be dismissed. All right, let's pray. Good and gracious Father, we thank you for Jesus, who changes people's lives. 
We thank you for the Holy Spirit who comes into the life of a new believer and begins to work and transform and change people's desires and, and their lives and everything from music to getting involved with other Christians and serving the world and, and learning to be a disciple and the adventure of being a Christian. So I'm thankful that the Holy Spirit is there every step of the way, even when it gets tough. I know this is a big topic to start thinking differently and living differently, but I know that with your help, we can do it. Jesus, we love you. We thank you for this morning to come together, sing, worship, learn. And God, as we leave here today, we ask that your spirit go with us and continue to challenge us, direct us, and help us to become the people that you created us to be so that the light of Christ can shine in our life and through our life to a world that's broken and desperate for change. In the name of Jesus, all of his children said, amen. All right. Uh, please join me on, on Psalm 422. Take time to be holy. Pastor Freddie, thank you for challenging us to stay close to the Lord. 422. Take time to be holy. We'll sing verses one, to, uh, one together. Ladies, verse two. Men, verse three. And everybody on verse four. 422. Take time to be holy, speak oft with the Lord, abide in Him always, and feed on His Word. Make friends of God's children, help those who are weak, forgetting to seek ladies And the men take time to be holy. Let him be your guide and run not before him, whatever beside. In joy or in sorrows, still follow the to Jesus, still trust in his word. Together, take time to be holy, and become in your soul, 
Each thought and motive beneath this control, thus led by his spirit to fountains of love, you soon will be fitted for service above.